0: And welcome back to Interpreting India. The 2020s began with a deadly pandemic, precarious geopolitical relations, a sharply contracting economy and a rapidly evolving technological landscape. This season, we at Carnegie will examine the challenges and opportunities that India might confront through the decade. I'm your host Rajesh Bansal and this week we are diving deep into Central Bank Digital Currencies or CBDCs. Recently, the RBI announced that it is exploring the need for India to have its own CBDC and the Government of India has placed in the bill in the current budget session of the Parliament for providing legal backing to RBI-issued CBDC. In holding Sovereign Guarantee, It is meant to act as a replacement for cash. Due to the potential benefits, countries across the world have been exploring their viability. In this episode of Interpreting India, we try and understand how India's digital currency might alter the way we transact. What advantages could such a form of currency offer? How would it impact India's monetary policy? And finally, how might this affect the Indian payment landscape? Joining us today is Jonathan Dharampalan. Jonathan is the founder of eCurrency, which is pioneering secure CBDC solutions around the world. Before this, he headed Dunstan Young's global telecom practice and chaired its mobile money office. Jonathan has 27 years of experience in the field. Jonathan, welcome to Interpreting India. Great to have you with us. So let's start with the basics. Can you explain to us what a central bank digital currency is? Uh, certainly. So,
1: um, before we get into digital, we should maybe spend a moment on what a central bank currency is. So, if you look at what we are very familiar with as currency, which is usually notes and coins, um, those come uh, or are made available to the public really as a part of a legal doctrine of a country. And the legal doctrine of a country basically gives the authority to create currency to their central banks. And this is pretty uniform uh, around the world. Uh, In India, uh, for example, uh, there is a slight twist to that. uh, And that is that the finance ministry actually issues the one rupee coin And then the authority to issue all other notes is handed over to the Reserve Bank of India. And this is just a, uh, I would say, a residue of history um, that is somewhat unique to India. Um, Now, when a central bank issues currency, they are essentially recognizing the amount of currency they put into circulation as a liability directly on the central bank's books. So the notes and coins, the rupee notes and coins that you're carrying in your pocket, uh, are, uh, the value of that is a direct liability on the Reserve Bank of India. Okay. Now when you're talking about a central bank digital currency, uh, all you're really implying there is that the central bank will start to issue a new form of currency. If you think of notes as a form, as in paper form of currency, that's a direct liability on the central bank. When a central bank issues digital currency, that too will become a direct liability on the central bank. Um, The question and the reason why this is being discussed by Uh, the government and the legislature and the finance ministry, is whether or not a central bank has the legal authority to also issue a digital form of currency. Mm -hmm. So it's no different than the money you carry in your pocket today uh, that happens to be a hundred rupee note. The only difference is that this new form of currency will come in a digital format rather than in a physical paper format.
0: Thanks, Jonathan, for this uh, introduction. And, and as you pointed out, India's unique situation where the one rupee coin, as we can call it, uh, is issued uh, by the Ministry of Finance and signed by the Secretary of Finance, as well as, uh, however, the other uh, denominations are issued by the Reserve Bank of India. But you know, uh, I agree that it will be digitally issued by the Reserve Bank of India or the Central Bank, and we will look at the contours of that as they come out in the bill. But but a lot of confusion is how will it be different than the current digital wallets that I hold or the digital payment instrument that I hold? Uh, Could you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Certainly. So uh, there is, you know, today, or there are today, uh, several private companies that provide for digital wallet services. And what you're essentially doing is uh, you're essentially giving them uh, fiat money in exchange for which they recognize uh, a liability to you. The private company recognizes a liability to you. Uh, in the form of a digital wallet where they put a value against that. That value is essentially underwritten by the private company. And as long as the private company uh, honors uh, that value, you are able to execute transactions mostly within that private network uh, for purposes of making payments, etc. The fundamental difference between that and a Reserve Bank of India-issued currency is that the liability for that currency will shift from the private entity to a public entity, in this case, the Reserve Bank itself. Um, And as we know, the stability of the Reserve Bank is a very important part of uh, the financial system in India, as is the stability of any central bank. and so we are essentially relying on the assets of a central bank rather than the assets and the ability to honour that liability uh, of a private uh, private entity. Um, from a user perspective, sometimes the users may not recognise that there is a difference as long as when they execute transactions, the transactions go through. Uh, but you have to always understand that the risk you're, that the risk you're taking in uh, Signing up and using digital wallets provided by private companies, uh, that the private company has to be able to honor uh, the, the essential essential transaction. Mm-hmm.
0: So I, I get that point, and I suppose the same holds true not just for wallets, but also deposits held with the banks. And I might be using different channels, and that's also a liability of the institution, such as a bank. Uh, so the yeah.
1: well. Uh, you, we should, let's stop there for just uh, just one second, if you if you don't mind. So deposits issued with a uh, a bank, which is a highly regulated entity, by the way, um, have a slightly different role. Uh, in that banks take your deposits and they use uh, that capital uh, as uh, a settlement uh, reserve at a central bank. Okay. And that settlement reserve or that particular reserve uh, also allows the bank to give out loans in excess of that reserve. And it all depends on what reserve ratios are set. From country to country, from bank to bank, those reserve ratios may be different. So, for example, if I am a bank and I am holding uh, 100 rupees in reserve, I may be permitted to uh, make out loans, uh, let's say, with a... 10x reserve uh, ratio, which means I can loan out as much as a thousand. Hmm? Um, so the the regulatory structure under which banks work uh, require reserve uh, uh, reserves with the central bank. That may or may not be true in the case of private entities, uh, which are not regulated like banks.
0: Mm-hmm. No, thanks for clarifying this, because that's another confusion in terms of wallet issuing uh, entities and the banks. Thanks for bringing up the fact of the reserves and the leverage that the banks enjoy. So before I go on to the other aspect, uh, which needs more clarity, is central bank digital currency versus a cryptocurrency, can I, at this stage, ask you, when you said there will be a direct liability of the Reserve Bank of India, are we saying that a billion adults would need to open an account with the Reserve Bank of India? How would it play out? It's, people are curious to know.
1: Well, uh, essentially, if you hold an account with the Reserve Bank, you theoretically have a liability on the, on the central bank. But today, mostly uh, only commercial banks hold accounts at the Reserve Bank. Uh, The public does not directly hold accounts at the Reserve Bank. In a digital currency world, uh, the Reserve Bank could take two approaches. One is the one that you suggested, which is to allow the public to hold uh, some form of an account directly at the Reserve Bank. But it also turns out that the technologies available for the Reserve Bank to issue a digital bearer instrument. And a bearer instrument itself is not an account, but rather more like a physical currency bearer instrument, meaning they can issue a secured piece of paper saying, this recognizes a liability on the central bank. Similarly, they can issue a digital uh, instrument that also works just like the physical bearer instrument, which is not an account, but rather a recognition that the central bank is underwriting that liability. Uh, so these are sort of two approaches that can be taken, and there are variations between these two. But uh, these are two approaches that can be taken. Um, one, what you suggested, which is uh, the public holding direct account of the central bank. Another. Uh, where the public is actually holding a digital bearer instrument, recognizing the liability of the central bank. Mm-hmm.
0: No, thanks. This is very helpful. And uh, I might come back to this uh, in the second half of our conversation. But before that, because, uh, you know, a lot of media reports and a lot of people I speak to, they, they seem to think, you know, that it will be like the private cryptocurrency. So people might you know, kind of start thinking that, oh, so now the Reserve Bank of India might issue a private cryptocurrency like a Bitcoin or an Ethereum. So could you tell us, I mean, I know you alluded to the definition of CBDC in the opening question. Uh, for our listeners, uh, give more clarity on the difference between a cryptocurrency, or if I can call it privately issued cryptocurrency, and the design of a central bank digital currency.
1: Well, uh, the the term cryptocurrency implies that somehow uh, this uh, thing called a private cryptocurrency is actually a currency. I would argue that it's not a currency at all. Um, it uh, it does not comply or does not uh, fundamentally attribute its existence to a legal doctrine, um, and uh, it is, uh, uh, I think, uh, a, a, a view. That currency itself is really more a law manifested in an instrument uh, rather than uh, the ability for somebody to claim that they've created a currency. Um, So, the currency by law of uh, India uh, is a rupee, it's an Indian rupee. Uh, In fact, uh, examination or careful examination, and this has been debated in the courts, uh, careful examination of this. um legal doctrine might lead you to see uh, to understand that no other currency actually is valid in uh in india uh, except an indian rupee now this of course is being is being actively debated um so uh you uh, you talked about uh the bill that's going through um uh going through the that's being introduced as we speak um, is, I think, an attempt to clarify that further, uh, to, to indicate that the, uh, the, the legal currency of India is an Indian rupee, and that the cryptocurrencies are not currencies at all. Um, uh, but we have to recognize that uh, over the past uh, Ten or twelve years, there has been a lot of talk about these cryptocurrencies, um, and and I think that talk emanates from the from a view that a group of people can get together and define for themselves what a currency is. Now there is an, uh, there is a historical precedence for this. So before there were central banks, or even sometimes after there were central banks, private groups. Um, got together and, and created uh, what were considered monetary instruments uh, by printing uh, various forms of securities on paper and distributing it for purposes of use within that private system, OK? Uh, it existed. In India, there is the concept of a hundi. Uh, the hundis did exist in India and probably do in some unique cases even today. Uh, the exist, the creation of a central bank essentially eliminated the need for multiple privately issued monies to be in circulation and, uh, and to create a commonly available uh, fiat currency. Um, and I think in the digital world, uh, eventually we will all gravitate to that commonly available Uh, digital fiat currency or central bank digital currency Um, and uh, certain governments will consider uh, other forms or other uh, issuances by private entities to be non-valid in their country.
0: That's an interesting point that uh, your observation on you know we will gradually gravitate or the world will gradually gravitate to a fiat digital currency and I'll come back to that because I'm keen to know what your views are on that in this decade. But before that, can we spend a few minutes on the underlying technology? So uh, again, I've been bringing in private cryptocurrencies here because most of them use distributed ledger technology and there's a lot of discussion in forums where uh, you know people say that that is the de facto technology to be used for a cbdcs so could you tell us you know whether do you think dlt is a suitable technology backbone for a cbdc if yes why and if not why not
1: um, there have been several studies and there are very various experiments going on as we speak around the world experimenting with uh, various technologies for the purposes of Uh, issuers of uh, digital currency, Um, all of those uh, essentially are trying to create a currency instrument that cannot be counterfeited, meaning allowing for uh, very much like we secure paper notes with uh, uh, with, uh, printing security, um, whether that be the design or the ink or the watermark, um, or reflective uh, features on the currency instrument. These are all uh, efforts to create a currency instrument that cannot be counterfeited. Mm-hmm. Uh, a similar effort to create this in the digital realm. Uh, technologies, similar technologies, are being experimented with to create this in the digital realm. Um, the several people have naturally uh, gravitated towards. The technology that was, uh, uh, that underpinned uh, Bitcoin, um, which was recognized as the use of blockchains, uh, and subsequently recognized that they existed by having, by replicating uh, the information in multiple uh, ledgers, um, and by arriving at a consensus mechanism to uh, execute every transaction. Uh, That that might be uh, a way for central banks to also issue uh, a digital currency. Um, We we don't actually think that that's the right answer. The right answer is one where the central bank has a unique, uh, sole responsibility for the issuance of the currency, rather than a consensus mechanism or even a distributed ledger mechanism. Uh, There are other technologies that can secure currency. uh, very much the way physical currency is secured and issued in a in a manner where only the central bank uh, knows what those security mechanisms are and those security mechanisms cannot be uh, replicated or somehow counterfeited
0: oh, and thanks, thanks a lot so uh, let's look at you know the BIS has been doing a lot of research on the motivations of what and why should central banks potentially go for CBDCs? And one of the things I want to bring up in Indian context is is that there is a lot of talk that CBDCs can enable low-cost instant payments. However, in a country like India, where low-cost instant payments already exist in forms of UPI, IMPS, uh, what do you think could be the main benefits of implementing a cbdc given india's you know i would say well developed payment landscape
1: in many ways the creation of a cbdc or the need for a cbdc i think is essentially recognizing that the un- that, that digital transactions are going to be uh, an important part of how Uh, the financial system will work in the long run. Um, Up until now, we have managed to computerize transactions. Um, And I would say that uh, that has brought us a long way, uh, whether that is instant payment systems or real-time payments or uh, 24 by 7 uh, settlement mechanisms all executed by computers. I think uh, the recognition uh, to move to a digital currency goes one step further. It goes to the very underpinnings of uh, the currency itself, which is the most basic form uh, of financial instrument. And to recognize that the most basic form of financial instrument uh, is, uh, is created at, at, its, at its core by a central bank and made available to the broader public is a major step forward. It is uh, it is essentially deciding on the very language, the digital language of the currency itself. Um, uh, now, some may argue that extending the existing computerized uh, systems The answer is yes, I think to some extent the existing computerized systems and payment systems can be extended to um, to allow for instant payments, etc cetera. Uh, but unless you, uh, uh, unless you address the most common part of the language of uh, the Indian rupee, which today comes in the form of paper, and hopefully uh, in the future will come in the form of a digital bearer instrument. You haven't, uh, you haven't addressed the most uh, sort of basic underpinnings of what currency is. And I think central banks are starting to recognize that. Um, and the role of the central bank in being the purveyor or the supplier of the most basic form of currency uh, in a digital world will most likely require the central bank to move to a digital form of currency.
0: Okay. So, so it seems that, you know, despite all the innovations in instant payment that India has had, that we still have a cash to GDP ratio at 12%, which is one of the highest in the world. So what you are suggesting is that we hope that if, if the rupee is ab initio issued digitally, that might be a key tipping point in reduction of you know, cash in the economy, as a RBI might gradually replace cash or the rupee issued by digital rupee, as well as adoption. So on that, I want to ask you, you know, you are familiar with the Indian context, that do you think that we in India would need options for offline transactions as well, given the fact that we have 700,000 villages and people, although we have a very good smartphone penetration rate. but there's still a lot of people with a feature phone and there is a, a I would say a residual 10 to fifteen percent of population with no phones. So we can tackle the 10 to fifteen percent separately, maybe not during this conversation. But uh, what is your take on the options for an offline CBDC and what can India do?
1: So I'm going to address the first part of your question because you talked about um, cash in the economy uh, and, uh, and a GDP to cash ratio of uh, 12%. Um, uh, remember, uh, a central bank issued digital currency is also cash. It just is not cash on a piece of paper. It's rather cash in digital form. So uh, issuing a digital cash or digital currency may or may not reduce uh, the uh, cash circulation in India. It'll just introduce a new form, uh, whereas today it comes in two forms, notes and coins. Uh, will come in three forms, note, coins, and digital. Okay. Um, so uh, so we have to recognize that what we're really talking about is digital cash. It's, it's not digital accounts, it's not bank accounts, it's not, uh, it's not the crypto currency, it is digital cash, digital rupees. Um, uh, yes, there is uh, this question about offline. Um, one of the reasons why a, a ledger-based system may not work for purposes of a digital currency is that a ledger-based system may uh, may require uh, constant uh, connectivity to, to execute transactions. Uh, a bearer-based system uh, can essentially go offline. So in a physical cash world, uh, you have a bearer instrument that initially starts off at the Reserve Bank, that ultimately you hold in your pocket. And my ability to receive that from you and recognize it as a bearer instrument that came from the Reserve Bank allows for what is essentially an offline trans- transaction. Right? We're not going online. We're not going to the Reserve Bank to confirm that the transaction took place. We don't have a commercial bank whether or not that instrument is, uh, is valid. We look at it, we recognize it as cash, as currency, and we settle the transaction. Um, With the use of a digital bearer instrument, you should be able to do the same thing. I should be able to uh, give to you a a digitally secured um, set of bits that once you have it, it's yours, it's not mine anymore, and you have the ability to validate it by looking at it You look at it digitally, of course, by looking at it, that it must have originated from the Reserve Bank and that is a liability on the Reserve Bank. So, now then, there's a question of how should offline work? Uh, Offline implies uh, a bunch of things. Uh, One, that you don't have to go online to validate it, Uh, it may imply that you are able to execute a transaction without a communications link in place. uh, it may mean that you're able to hold this uh, instrument uh, offline, meaning uh, you can hold the digits on a on a card or a phone uh, reasonably securely, like you would hold physical currency in a physical wallet. Um, so it means all those things, uh, and yes, those things can actually be done with a digital bearer instrument. Um, however, If a central bank is to issue uh, a digital currency, um, one has to recognize that the access to that currency may have to come from less than sophisticated uh, phones. Uh, You talked about feature phones. Um, In in a situation such as an environment where you have to continue to use feature phones for the foreseeable future, uh, it is possible for digital wallets to hold digital currency as a proxy. Uh, So, private companies could provide for digital wallets that hold central bank digital currency on your behalf, and you can instruct them to send it or receive it using your feature phone. Right? So, um, uh, until such time that your phone itself is capable of holding that currency instrument. I I hope I answered your question. There's a long answer to a question.
0: You did answer, and I would. Although I would love to go into, you know, I'm imagining how it would play out in a village. But I mean, you actually ended this answer exactly on, uh, you know, on the the topic that I want to bring up now is that you mentioned that, you know, I if I have a feature phone and I can potentially request private companies to come in and direct them to transfer the money, and that's what I was going to ask you now. In your view, you know, there are a lot of payment players in India, intermediaries, you know, payment gateways, payment aggregators, wallet companies. Uh, Do you think that their business could be threatened or they could actually play a critical role in distribution of and adoption of the digital rupee?
1: Well, in my view, I would say that Uh, There have been several things that have happened recently that have actually made a central bank digital currency uh, viable. Uh, That includes, by the way, the telecommunications networks that you talked about, uh, the access to mobile, which has enabled much of the population in India to have digital access, um, and the many payment companies that have now started providing service to a broad base of the public. Um, without these, uh, I don't think a digital currency, even if it could be created, would be viable. Um, I also believe that central banks will leverage this infrastructure. Uh, they will take advantage of the fact that there are communications links. Uh, they will take advantage that 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 uh, wallet providers are able to provide these services. And if a in if, if it uh, appropriately implemented, the central bank digital currency will be able to reside in these private sector wallets that are created on uh, created for the public. Um, and those private sector wallets can be provided by commercial banks or by pure payment service providers. Um, and they will, of course, be obligated to transact only in the digital rupee provided by the central bank. Um, and uh, will uh, comply with instructions given to them by the public to send or receive as necessary uh, the central bank digital instrument. Uh, something very uh, interesting happens, by the way, if the central bank issues a digital currency and obligates private companies to transact in them uh, or to, to provide for wallets to hold them. And the interesting thing that happens is that the currency itself becomes fully interoperable meaning you are able to send and receive transactions from uh, payment provider A to payment provider B because you use payment provider A and I use payment provider D because a common instrument can traverse from uh, one network to another.
0: Hmm. So that's, uh, I would say, it seems that it might become less of a hassle for the payment service providers to provide a you know conversion from physical cash to digital cash and might actually give more opportunities for them to innovate on top of the digital rupee uh, that that will be interesting to see how the market pans out because india prides itself in you know innovation in payments so that's a very interesting point thanks for bringing that up So another question is, uh, you know, one of the concerns or the key concerns of the government of India where they are banning cryptocurrencies is the concern regarding anonymity, safety, money laundering, cyber security concerns. Could these also apply to CBDCs? Uh, You know, how does anonymity versus privacy issue do you think it'll play out or what is your recommendation to India?
1: Well, uh, sometimes the words anonymity and privacy are, uh, are confused or uh, used uh, um, uh, used interoperably. <laughs> uh, but they're actually slightly, slightly different matters. So the matter of anonymity says that uh, you and I are executing transactions and neither one of us knows who the other is. In the currency world, that rarely ever happens. In the currency world, um, I know I'm receiving a transaction from you, and uh, you know you're making a payment to me in the physical currency world. So whether or not anonymity is necessary in the central bank digital currency world is, I think, up for debate. Um, Certainly, the senders and the receivers will have knowledge of each other. Uh, And if there is a payment intermediary in the middle, The payment intermediary may well know that you and I have executed a transaction. Anonymity may not be necessary uh, as it doesn't really exist even in the physical currency world. Privacy is an entirely different uh, and important issue to consider. Um, We have taken for granted in many ways uh, that. Uh, currency has allowed for us to execute, physical currency has allowed for us to execute transactions without um, intervention by the government or the central bank. And this is being discussed broadly as to whether a central bank digital currency should allow for that, uh, the privacy of parties executing transactions to extend into the digital currency world. Um, and that's a very, very good question. Uh, it is not just a legal question, but I think it's a societal and cultural question. I believe that what will happen is, will be something very similar to what exists today, which is to allow for a relatively smaller transactions to take place with all privacy preserved um, and for the public to go about their daily lives without... Um, uh without having to have um, the central bank or uh, someone else uh, monitoring uh you know their transactions as they go about their daily lives, however, as you know today, uh, larger transactions uh, are uh, reported uh, in some capacity or the other uh, by commercial banks and others to uh, to regulatory bodies, uh, sometimes the central bank. So I have a feeling that we will arrive at a place where the central banks will require certain larger central bank digital currency transactions to have uh, some form of a uh, privacy toggle, if you want to call it that, turned off, meaning there will be the possibility for a central bank to know that some large transactions have taken place. This will all depend on both policy and law. Um, and, of course, cultural acceptance of uh, of what these requirements are. Um, and hopefully I've addressed your question.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, no. This is helpful because, as you said, toggle between, you know, uh, details being available for large value transactions versus they not being available. Uh, it, it's, I mean, that's why some people call uh, central bank digital currency as programmable money, right? so the central bank can decide on what the rules should be and as you said it's not just the law it's also the societal you know values and the culture that would need to be taken into account uh, for the call's a country take. Uh, could you tell me a bit more about uh, do you have any concerns on cyber security issues in a potential cbdc uh, absolutely. Um,
1: and I will put it under, under the broader category of uh, a security. Uh, if a central bank digital currency is created, um, the next sort of important thing becomes the security of the digital currency itself. Uh, central banks will be concerned uh, about security in multiple ways. Uh, one we talked about already, which is the counterfeiting, meaning the creation of more currency Uh, put into circulation than the central bank intended. Okay. Um, Another is uh, the potential manipulation of of large and or uh, small transactions. Um, The validity of every transaction, whether large or small, um, has to remain intact so that the public will trust that the central bank digital currency actually works. Um, And then lastly, there is the concern of Cybersecurity manipulation of this digital instrument from outsiders, uh, outsiders both within the country and outside the country, um, and so uh, uh, the security is is not uh, is not negotiable in the creation of a digital currency, just like security is not negotiable in the creation of a physical currency, um, and and as technology evolves. Uh, the, the challenges associated with security will only continue to expand. Um, in looking at technologies to secure digital currency, we have to consider uh, challenges like uh, that might be posed by things like quantum computing. Um, and so any, any technology used to create digital currency uh, has to be, in some way, quantum computing proof. Uh, so yes, uh, security is a big matter. It's not just cybersecurity, but just counterfeiting security and the security of transactions. And, and central banks will have to be concerned about that, and will have to take steps to uh, be constantly vigilant.
0: Okay. Now this is helpful that you brought in a larger ambit of security and not just cybersecurity, as I just mentioned. And these are critical, you know, considerations whenever a CD, CBDC is launched. In any country and in India as well. So, you know, you're also aware that India is one of the largest recipients of inward remittances. Uh, if I remember the number, I think it's about $80 billion a year. So, could you tell me briefly about your views uh, on the potential of a CBDC being used for cross border payments? And I'll qualify that that would, I suppose, will mean that wherever the remitter is, whether the US or UK, that country might necessarily need to be on a central bank digital currency. But correct me if I'm wrong. Um, It's a little
1: bit more complex uh, than that. And uh, this might uh, turn out to be a long answer. So cross-border transactions, to execute cross-border transactions, um, there is always an intermediary currency involved, especially where the originating uh, currency or the terminating currency are not reserve currencies. So basically, what's what's taking place in a cross-border transaction is that the originator is buying one of the reserve currencies and essentially selling that reserve currency on the other end and remitting in uh, the recipient's local currency. Uh, reserve currencies today, for all practical purposes, include the U.S. dollar, uh, the British pound, the euro, the Japanese yen, and, uh, uh, and also uh, the, the Chinese renminbi is being considered in some ways a reserve currency. So uh, with the exception of those currencies, All of the transactions essentially go through a reserve currency for remittance purposes. Um, It is not necessary that the originator and the terminating uh, countries uh, are already in CBDC for a cross-border transaction to take place. However, the intermediary currency may well have to be a digital currency if you want to make a CBDC-type cross-border transaction. Uh, We're a bit away from that, I believe. Um, and I think, uh, uh, you know, one by one, as, uh, the origin, uh, as the countries convert to CBDCs and reserve currencies convert to CBDCs, a fully a digital uh, remittance cross-border can take place.
0: No, so that leads me to a last question. Uh, as you said, we might be uh, you know a few years. I'm just adding words of my own few years away from other countries. But uh, if I would just take an example of G20 in this decade, where do you see you know the G20 countries' adoption of a central bank digital currency? Uh, the BIS survey indicates that a lot of central banks, including the US, the ECB, Bank of England, Korea, Bank of Japan, are working on it. But let's say do some crystal ball grazing and, and you are the expert. You've been working in this field. Where do you think it will go with this decade? The
1: technology to do a central bank digital currency, uh, I think is eminently here. Uh, we uh, are working with those technologies and and, and we think that the technical nature of solving central bank digital currency is not the challenge. Uh, The challenge, and you're seeing this in India, uh, and we will see it in other countries, is to make sure that the legal underpinnings of a digital currency are appropriately in place. As I mentioned at the beginning of our talk, I said that currency itself is more a legal doctrine than a thing. And then, if you so, if you're going to have a digital currency, we have to be sure that the legal doctrine of a digital currency is appropriately uh, addressed. And it is very good to see that governments around the world are actually actively uh, thinking about how that legal doctrine should be put into place before a digital currency actually comes into being. Um, And so, this uh, bill that you talked about in India is a a groundbreaking bill in that way because the government of India is actively thinking about what laws have to be in place so that a digital currency becomes possible in India. Um, The rate and the speed at which a digital currency will come into being, I think, can happen very quickly, but then we have to consider adoption what is the most effective way to get the public to adopt a digital currency. Um, uh, and just like anything that is digitized, and we have seen this transition in, in education and communications and, and commerce and what have you, um, once it's adopted, uh, people never go back. Um, I'm sure the day we both gave up a pen, uh, which I don't carry in my pocket anymore, um, We never went back to using one. Uh, We stopped using stamps and uh, sending mail via the post, and we never went back to sending mail via the post. So a digital currency will probably go the same way. Uh, Once adopted, uh, there's probably no going back.
0: So thank you, Mr. Jonathan, to end on this positive note that this could be the next big revolution uh, by central banks and benefit citizens at large. It was great having you on the show. Thanks so much.
1: It's my pleasure, Rajesh. Thank you.
0: On the next episode, my colleague Suyash Rai will host Pinaki Chagrabarti to discuss some of the trends in public finance. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. To make sure you don't miss it, Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about our research and team, you can also visit us at carnegieindia.org. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. See you next time.